Hello, you're listening to Shut Up and Watch This, episode number 95. I'm Dave. I'm Ashley. And we're a couple in Austin, Texas, getting to know each other better by uncovering each other's movie and pop culture blind spots. <laughs> each episode, one of us chooses something the other person has never seen before. Or, in the case of tonight's movie, that's not what we're doing yeah. at all. That's uh, Well, sort of. I mean, I did choose a movie. You chose a movie. But it is one I have seen before. Yes. I know you saw it before because I saw it with you when Welcome you saw it before. to the premise of our podcast. Let me explain Crum- it to you. Slowly crumbling. As we, as we change the rules. So Like our society, our podcast rules. Slowly yes. crumbling. A couple of times over the years. 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 Yes. We've uh, changed it up a little bit because there's something that uh, one of us really wanted to talk about. It yep. seemed like it should be fodder for a podcast. Mm. My fodder's podcast. No, my fodder didn't have a podcast. Um, so it's your turn this time. It was my turn. You chose something. I chose. It wasn't cachet. I think we made this joke before. We made this joke last time. I kept calling it cachet, but what I meant was certified coffee. <laughs> To be fair, they're both Juliet Binoche movies. And they start with the letter C. That's all they have in common. Well, I don't actually want to get into that. There's there may I be I mean, there's probably a little bit more in common than that, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> there's less blood in uh, certified copy. Okay, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, there was hardly any. <laughs> I don't think there is any. There's some wine. There's wine, yes. Corked wine. So, um, why did you pick this movie? <laughs> I picked this movie because I remember when we watched it the first time that we were like, we should talk about this on the podcast. And then we just didn't. And like, I thought we were going to make like a special episode and then it just never happened. Um, So I was uh, unusual for me, but more common for you. I was deciding at the last moment what we should watch. And I was deciding between sort of like some 80s, 90s nostalgia and then this film, which... I felt like we had a lot more to talk about with, so I chose this film. We'll see. It's been a long day. (laughs) It's true. (laughs) I'm surprised I made it here to the microphone at all, but uh, here we are. Podcasting by candlelight or by Ikea light. Well, you should be glad that I don't have the the one on I had on a minute ago. Because that was some bright bright action there, man. They're getting the full ambiance via... Okay. Audio recording. <laughs> but what stands out about this movie to you? Um, it was... Why are we breaking the rules? Well, I think it was just because, like, both of us were so, like, enthralled by this film mm-hmm. when we saw it. I mean, I feel like it just kind of... I mean, it's our kind of film anyway. It's, like, talky, you know, people going through emotional things it's our kind of thing but also like how the movie takes a turn and we can talk about the turn that it takes and like your brain can't quite figure out I mean like it really was useful to watch it a second time to sort of develop more of a theory of what happened in the Mm -hmm. film um I mean like now I have one I don't think I had one before but it's just such an enthralling film to watch these actors play off of each other and this like beautiful surroundings that they're in in Tuscany. And, you know, it's just, um, Juliet Binoche is of course, a fantastic actress. Um, love her in everything I've ever seen her in. She's just so natural and, and like her, everything she feels just comes off her face and you can see what she's thinking and feeling. And there's not a lot of actresses that are as skilled as she is in that particular you know, um, she just is so good at like, she's good at subtle and she's good at not subtle and she's just got the full range. So I, I felt like we should talk about it. It's, it's a fascinating film that I'm surprised that we haven't done more Julia Bonoche movies on the podcast. We did do blue, Mm -hmm. the Kieslowski's three colors trilogy. And um, you wanted to do Clouds of. Thank you. I couldn't think of what it was but called. But I watched it by Clouds myself. Clouds of Sils Maria. Is that what it's called? I think I watched it when you. <laughs> yeah. Last year when you went to. I was uh, a little disappointed because I didn't yeah. want to see it again. <laughs> well, we can and watch it again. I wanted it again. to show it to you. Yeah. Um, but when you said that you, you've loved 
uh, Julia Binoche and everything you've seen her in, I suddenly had this like <laughs> flashback to baby Julia Binoche because I remember the first time I saw her was in uh, Unbearable Lightness of Being. She must have been uh, like yeah. 20 or something. Yeah. I don't even know. But um, she's had that such a wonderful... That was my first Criterion film. I bought it on sale at Hastings. Oh. So, yeah. We don't even have that. I think it's out of print, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. you got to get it at half price I books. I bought or... it at uh, Hastings um, in Denton when I was in college. Yeah. Or grad school. Yeah. Here we still buy DVDs, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else just like streams and rents on iTunes and yeah. Apple and all that <laughs> stuff. But I'm like, I want to see uh, Unbearable Lightness of Being again. Sorry. No. <laughs> well, I'm glad you chose this because it, it, I don't remember if we talked about it much the first time. Did we hold back because we thought we might record? I don't I'm feel maybe, like we've really talked about it. I don't know. I, I do remember discussing like a little bit about what exactly happened in the film, you know, because it is so baffling. You know, especially on a first watch, you know. Um, it's still baffling to me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I have a unified theory of it. Yeah. You, so you have me a little worried that you've yeah. kind of figured it out or something. Well, I, I mean, it's not like a Ferris Bueller, like this is all in what's his name, Cameron's mind or anything like that. It's not that kind well, of thing. Well, I don't even agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, maybe, uh, well, maybe. when you mention unified theory, that's just what I thought of. But like, no, I don't have like a unified theory. I have a... My interpretation, I guess, is, is well, the thing. Yeah. Along those lines, I <laughs> I think I usually do a little bit of research for these podcasts, but usually just kind of pre, you know, to see to read about the production and and a little bit about the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but I really didn't this time because I thought that we would have a richer conversation talking about what's actually going on and what it means if I went in without reading six yeah. other film critics talking about what they think it means. Yeah. So I'm kind of coming in here blind and just having it kicked around in my head for the last few days. I haven't yeah. really, I mean, just on my phone right now, I literally wrote down like six bullet points, but they're not, they were just like events in the movie yeah. that I was hoping would, you know, remind me of things to say about them. <laughs> um, so I guess we should give like, without getting in too much detail yet, because I think it'll come yeah. out in the conversation what the premise of the movie okay. is or that sort of thing. So, directed by... Abbas Kirstami, the Iranian film director. So this, I think, is the only film I've seen, even I, though he was quite prolific. Well, and Taste of Cherry is A one? Taste of Cherry, actually... That's his big the, one? Yeah, it's the only other one I've seen. Um, Close Up is another really big one. He's one of the great filmmakers... Um, I may and have seen he passed away in 2016? Yeah, yeah. So he was, yeah, 1940. I had just looked this up. But so. he, you know, this is our podcast about blind spots, and he's pretty much a blind spot for yeah. me. And I know more is available now than was a few years ago, and they've criterion starting to be starting to release them. Um, but I, I've still only seen The Taste well, of Cherry what's in What's interesting, this. just in my, like, you know, I have some, you know, awareness of the history of Iran. So I... He was born in 1940, started directing movies in the, you know, 60s. -hmm. So I was like, well, what happened with him during the revolution? Well, he stayed. He's like one of the Mm -hmm. only ones that like he hung around and continued to work at Iran after the revolution. So um, one of the few, I mean, because he's not just he was not just a director, but also like a poet and an artist and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So that that was kind of unusual. Um, you know, because I, I, I just figured based on the fact that this was filmed in Italy and with French actors that he had relocated lo- located to Europe like a lot of the mm-hmm. Iranian artists did. So I don't know if this is his first sort of Western movie or not. That's but, apparently, but he yeah. was making movies set in Iran with Iranian yeah. actors, you know. And mm-hmm. then this was in Tuscany with yeah. an international cast. It's got Julia Binoche. As she, <laughs> she's never given a name. I That's guess. That's right. Yeah, and and then... and, um, and um, William Schimmel. Who yeah. I just learned is an opera singer. Yeah, that's what his real his real job is. He's not an actor. No, he's not an opera singer in the movie, but he was is a baritone, famous baritone. Yeah. And this is um, his first film too. And he's now been in several films. I think three. He's probably about two. seventy now because this is ten years later. Yeah, but, but um, it's a two hander. It's the mm. two of them. Tell more. Tell more. <laughs> I'm never good at this. <laughs> uh, so, um, I guess, like, our first scene is uh, William Schimmel is 
an author um, who's written a book about art. And it's called Certified Copy. Certified Copy is the name <laughs> of the book. And he's giving a reading in um, this little town in Tuscany, Areza, mm-hmm. I guess. I'm so glad you looked that yeah. up. I didn't look it up, and I was like, Ashley will have looked it up. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, Juliet Binoche's character goes to the reading, um, and she really wants to hear what the guy is saying, but her you know, 11-year-old son is like insisting that he's hungry and won't stop bothering her while she's trying to watch the lecture. He's fidgeting and <laughs> playing fidgeting. with his video game and... So she gets really frustrated and takes him out of the thing. And then they have the scene of um, her walking down the street and her son is following her by about 20 feet behind her playing a video game. And she mm-hmm. kind of like waits for him to like, she's like, come on, we're, I'm, I'm going to buy you food. And she just has to wait for him to make his slow progress. And then there's a little bit of a sort of, mother-son conversation where he is making fun of her for going to see the the book lecture and like kind of teasing her like she finds the author attractive attractive yeah <laughs> um it's a pretty cute scene and then um i guess at some point during the thing where she's at the lecture she leaves her phone number with the translator for the mm-hmm. book who's also at the thing so the next scene it it becomes it becomes apparent that she's given the number to the author and the author has come to meet her and she's uh, an antique dealer. You know, she does like mm-hmm. sculpture, French antiques um, in this little town. Um, and he's there to meet with her and talk to her about the book and and about the I guess the art business and, and that sort of thing. So that's kind of how we get started into the thing. And then the whole rest of the movie is there. And then it turns into one of those Ethan Hawke yeah. uh, Before Sunrise type <laughs> movies. It does. Yeah, it's similar in a way. It's um, the art film version for 50-somethings. Yes. <laughs> but they made that, didn't they? That's the last one. <laughs> no, but this is different. Before Sunset or yeah. After Sunrise or whatever it is. Ethan Hawke may be a novelist, but he's not an opera singer. <laughs> yes. And he doesn't write art criticism or whatever. Uh, so, um, <laughs> so uh, to pick up where you left yeah. off, the author, the British author, James Martin, has agreed to like come talk to her about his book because she missed the lecture. Yeah. And he's only in town till that evening. He has a train to catch at 9 o'clock nine that o'clock. night. Yeah. So um, he's like, why don't we get out of the shop into the sunlight take me somewhere she's like oh you want to go for a drive and then they go on this little road trip to a little village yeah down the way I she's gonna just take him out for the day and yeah. entertain him and they'll talk and walk and all that yeah okay so do we need to talk about the theme of his book uh yeah so the theme of the book how I, would you describe that i mean it's essentially it's like to know. I think, and like, it's unclear, like, the argument that he's making, and that's what I think is so fascinating about this film, is like, I think the thesis of the book is that it doesn't matter if the art is a copy, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially, like, that you can get the same experience, it doesn't matter if the art is an original or a copy, you can get the same experiencing, you know, um from from this copy of a great work than than actually going yeah. to see the original. So the David outside yes. in the courtyard, yeah. outside the acad- academia in um, Florence, is just as beautiful, and you can have mm. the same aesthetic and emotional experience as you would with the one inside. Mm. I mean, as an example. Yeah. But the the art is what you bring to it? Or yeah. it's... So it seems like that's his argument at the beginning, or the at least the argument that's in the book. But he <clears throat> says at some point that he wrote the book to convince himself. So I think that maybe as someone who's like immersed in the art world, he still is sort of can't quite escape that sort of sense of like provenance and the original artist and all of that, you know, the original brush strokes and all of that stuff that goes into the experience of experiencing that original painting versus you maybe know, yeah i don't know but i also took that to mean like 
oftentimes when you when you write anything, yeah. you don't know. You have to write it to know what you think. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the writing is the journey and the exploration. Mm-hmm. So I, I interpreted it that way. Like yeah. <laughs> he, he set off on the to write that to find out what he thought. What? To convince himself yeah. of something. And that's what he came up with. Well, like, some things that I find fascinating is, like, from the very beginning, these two have a very sort of, like, I don't know, like, picky kind of at each other. I mean, like, they've apparently never met before, or maybe they've met in passing or something like that, but they're always kind of, like, a little bit irritated with each other in and some sometimes way. sometimes a lot irritated oh, with yeah. each other. And, like... It's not clear whether she liked the book at all, you know, but she wants to give copies to her friends. Yeah. And someone that she doesn't like, apparently, as well. Yeah. <laughs> but she wants and to give one to her sister. sister. Marie? Yeah. The so one she, with the husband? Who... Yeah, she has him sign, like, six books, yeah. and only three of them are, are addressed, so she bought three additional ones that she just would want to give, I guess, to yeah. someone. Um, so, but yeah... I, I, that's that's one thing that's like from the very beginning. It's not like this like polite casual conversation. No, it's like they jump ahead yeah. to a level of intimacy pretty mm-hmm. quickly. Yeah, and not like necessarily romantic intimacy, just a knowing of the other person and uh, the way they relate to each other. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting because she like he'll ask a question. She'll give him an answer, and then he does this like pick it apart kind of thing. Yeah, some people are like my uncle, and she like gets that. really irritated. Yeah, you know, so like she's like, you know, this this book is for my sister Marie, and she talks a little bit about Marie and how Marie's like a free spirit, and you know that sort of thing. And so he makes a comment about Marie, and then adds something to the. Um, you know, encouraging her free-spiritedness. And then, mm-hmm. you know, Julia Binoche gets really irritated that she's like, great, you're telling my sister that she should just continue in her crazy, you know, uncontrolled way, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's it's kind of uncomfortable, especially in the car, that sort of like back and forth that they go through. Okay, I feel like we have to get to the the transformation or okay. the, the weirdness because you've already said they've apparently never met before. Yeah. But is there evidence to the contrary or what how would you describe the weirdness of this movie? It's the thing that everybody talks about, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, the sort of midpoint it's actually like midpoint in the movie, maybe even a little past the midpoint. They go uh, how long is the movie? Because I clocked It's like it. an hour and 47 minutes. Okay, I clocked it. I think I st- paused the movie and it was like 48 minutes in. And okay. I was like, this is where it's getting That's weird. That's where it gets There was weird. like a moment yeah. where... And, and now I'm trying to remember exactly what the exchange was. So it's right after they've gone to... Um, they went to a museum that has like a famous copy. Um, and the copy is famous because... Um, they didn't know it was a copy for like 200 for years. For hundreds of years. Yeah. They it thought was it was a Roman... to be an original Roman painting, yeah. fresco, or piece of yeah. a painting that was found. But in... then they discovered that it was actually like an 18th century copy yeah. done by a pretty clever artist. Um, but in this town, they had held it up as this Roman fragment that they had had for for like 200 years until they discovered in the you know, 60s or 70s, that it was actually a copy. But does knowing it's a copy now diminish the aesthetic experience <laughs> yeah. that people had of it during those hundreds of years where they thought it was the yeah. original? Does the provenance matter? Does the... <laughs> so she brings him there, I think, to sort of prove the point, because this is after he said that he's not sure he believes what he wrote in his yeah. book. So she's like, here, this is what you wrote in your book. Yeah. And he seems like not impressed and not interested, and it's kind of irritating so she's a little frustrated with him, but um, he suggests they go get a cup of coffee at the little cafe. Mm-hmm. And while they're in the cafe... I think what he says is, yeah. are you going to buy me a coffee? Are you going to buy me a coffee? <laughs> um, so, you know, she orders coffee, his phone rings, and he goes out to talk to his agent or, you know, whoever it is. Um, and he's mm. gone... They tell the story first. Oh, does he tell the story first? 
she she's she's like so i didn't get to ask you these questions yeah. i had at the lecture yeah and i really want to know what was your inspiration for writing the book where does this all come from yeah and that's the cue for that story so he tells the story of he was in florence and five years earlier or something five like years that. earlier and he said that um the whole story was inspired by this woman and her son. So a woman and her eight-year-old son um, who were in the palazzo in in Florence looking at the statue of David. And then, but he describes that that wasn't the first time he had seen this woman and the child. Um, he had seen them for weeks while he was in Florence. they passed in front of his window or something. Yeah, outside of his window. And... Um, Similar to um, Juliet Binoche at the beginning, um, the woman would walk and the child would follow behind her and she would stop every once in a while to make sure the kid caught up and then continue on her way. Mm-hmm. So as he's telling the story, um, Juliet Binoche starts to cry. Mm-hmm. And, and then it becomes clear, and see, I completely missed this the first time we watched it, that it was her and her son that he had seen. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, essentially, she's the inspiration for the book that her and her son looking at this copy of the David was the Which was the moment when her and the son actually were together yeah. and connected was when the son was amazed and, yeah. and, and in awe of the, the statue. Yeah. The copy. Yes, the copy of the statue. Has the which, real was ones. A, which was <laughs> a, a, an actual moment of beauty yeah. that he saw, too. Yeah. Between mother and son. Yeah. Or to him, it seemed to be. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting because, like, I really, I don't know why, but I hadn't picked that up the first time that we watched it. Um, so that was, that was an interesting connection. And maybe, I think, maybe a clue into what happens next. So immediately, I mean, like, he doesn't even get to fully explain like how that inspired the book, mm-hmm. but um, he gets a phone call and that he has to take and he leaves. So when he's gone, the the lady who runs the cafe comes over and and says, you know, you know, you've got a nice husband sort of thing, and that it's you know better to be unhappy with a husband than than be single you and, know and, and all she's this like, kind of <laughs> and he loves you look he's telling you stories yeah he's like telling that. you stories and yeah. she said so he's out there on his phone talking to his mistress or <laughs> something that's right. like that she this is a price that we have to pay is it that much of a big deal if at the whole at, at the end of the day they come home to us and <laughs> yeah. you know he's he <laughs> that kind of thing like so and and she doesn't she goes she, along with she it. she doesn't correct it her she just goes along with it and starts you know like but he never spends any time with the kid and, you know, all this, you know, Yeah, she stuff. embellishes. She, can, she <laughs> continues. But, you know, he's, you know, we've been living apart. I mean, I yeah. don't remember how much she says. He's but traveling all the time. Yeah, it's kind well, of. <laughs> why doesn't he speak your language? Oh, he's, oh yeah. he's English. You know, he speaks English because he's, he's British and he never learned, you know, yeah. French. He's like, no. And so, oh. But, like, it starts to take on these details of the he life. He does know French. He just doesn't know Italian. Right. Yeah. But it's. She goes. She tells. She starts to share details mm-hmm. <laughs> of this relationship, of this marriage with him, and him as the sort of absent father to her son. You know, and yeah. the difficulty of the long term relationship or long distance relationship. Yeah. It starts to come into play, and I don't know how much I'm adding to it, but that's the yeah. that's the sort of thing they talk about. So just in these few minutes, yeah. things out there. And so that's the moment when it shifts. So when he comes back in from the coffee, like the woman says something to him in Italian that's essentially like shame on you for not learning your your wife's language, language or something like that. And he doesn't understand because she says it in Italian. So um, Juliette Binoche explains that the woman thought that they were married and she just went along with it. Yeah. So I don't know what quite happens at this point. Like... But, like, it seems like they both decide to, like, spend the rest of the afternoon as if they were a married couple with problems that are there to celebrate their anniversary or something like that. It's <laughs> We don't know what they decide, yeah. but what we experience as viewers 
is that there's this kind of shifting back and forth mm-hmm. between them being the characters they started out as, the, yeah. the visiting writer and the woman who's just met him, showing him around this little town, and also being this married couple yeah. 15 years after they got married, it's returning to the small town where they... Did their honeymoon. Where they... Got married? Married maybe? and honeymooned, yeah. I think. And... It's you're in this position of having of constantly shifting back and forth between well wait are they are they strangers <laughs> or are they married playing a game yeah either way they're playing some kind of game yeah there there's some kind of it's like is there some kind of role playing thing going yeah. on where the two strangers suddenly decided to spend like somehow fell into the rest of the afternoon. Um, sometimes arguing mm-hmm. as this married couple, um, sometimes throwing out accusations or bringing up problems that they've had with detail yeah, about yeah. the time you X, Y, or Z and when you did, and it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't break. Nobody, yeah. nobody <laughs> breaks character. No. And it's both of these things at the same time. Yeah. So what are some of the things that they do? When we shift into this mode, they go to the church. They go to, I think they had already gone to the church. So they're going to this... I don't know if it's like... It's a place where there's like a a golden tree yeah. icon or something like that that's supposed to provide luck to the married couples. And so like there's all these married couples that are going in to have their picture taken with this golden tree. Right. And so they go in and like it's it's... It's a pretty funny scene, but um, like she goes in and is talking to the couple that's in there having their photo taken and telling them this story about how, you know, she's in this happy, you know, marriage and they're celebrating their 15th anniversary. And they've come and, back to the place where they once gave yeah. the, got the blessing and at, at the golden yeah. tree. And the couple's like, come take, take pictures with us. And she like tries to convince him to come and take a picture with him. He's like sitting in the alcove outside. And he won't, he's like, no, I'm not in the mood to have no, my picture he's taken. he's gotten really moody. He yeah. doesn't want to have anything to do with it. He's yeah, not having it. So, he's and in- then the, I think the groom comes out and tries to convince him. Yeah, and he was- still says no. But finally the bride does and convinces him to go in and have a photo taken. They really had to wear him down. They yeah. asked like <laughs> 10 times before he gave in. They really did, yeah. Um, so he, he really was not into it. And then I guess they go to... They try to go have dinner, but um, end up... Before that is the... She takes him to the courtyard with the statue in the fountain. That's right, Because yeah. dinner is after that. Yeah, that's So right. they're still also dealing with the, the idea in his book about mm-hmm. the copy or not the copy. And the statue is something that she finds to be beautiful. Yeah. And at this point, he's like, Ugh, it's Yeah. <laughs> it's this horrible, like... Blah, cliched, cliched, unimportant, unoriginal. Yeah. Yeah. It's just kitschy sidewalk art to him or something, you know? But what is it about the statue that she likes? It's something about the way she liked the way the woman's face looks. So it's, uh, and we don't even get to see the whole supporting. Yeah, but we don't even get to see the no, whole statue. The it's statue. all based on the descriptions. Like, we can see the bottom of the statue, but the way that they shoot it, we can't see the part that she's referring to. But I get the idea. It's a man and a woman, and she's resting her head on his shoulder, mm-hmm. and he's protecting her is the is the description that we're getting of the thing. And for her, the thing that is meaningful is the look on the woman's face you know who's being protected so and the idea of the protection yeah and he just thinks it's a terrible cliche (laughs) and by this point he's super not into it i mean he's he's in a foul kind of a foul mood brewing they they really are like a a a couple who's been traveling together and Mm. is getting irritable with each other they're kind of picking at each other more. Yeah. They really, like, he's kind of like, I don't even care about my book anymore. Like, yeah. stop telling me what my book means. Like, yeah. this is just <laughs> bad art. 
I don't even want, I don't even care. He ends and, up looking at a motorcycle or something yeah, like that. Yeah, and she's going to prove to him that it's good art and that it proves his point. Yeah. She just starts randomly grabbing People. like a couple in the courtyard to ask them what they think about it and why they, do they like it? And we don't know exactly what she asks them, but we see her go off and talk to an older couple. Yeah. You know, a couple who's another 20 years or so older than they are probably. Yeah. Um, and she brings them back as authorities, like, tell him why, what you like about this. What? Well, and it was interesting, too, because, like, she starts, like, they had had a whole conversation. She brings her over and she starts to, like, summarize what the woman was saying. But she's gotten wrong what the woman has said. So, like, she was saying, Juliette Binoche said that, you know, the woman agreed with her, but when they actually started talking together again, it was clear that the woman, what she was more, like, what touched her more was his protect, the the Mm -hmm. protective nature of the man, not so much the look on the woman's face, Mm -hmm. you know, so, so from her perspective, it was, it was different even, and and it's funny, she brings them over there to prove a point, but then they go off and start talking again, but just the two women by themselves, and it gives the older guy a chance to like offer some ad- some advice. To yeah, him. and he's giving him <laughs> advice for like a marital problem. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, "Look, this is not good. What's going yeah. on right now? And you're going to need to find a way to apologize and make up for yeah. whatever is going on. I don't need to know the details, but I'll tell you what you need to do. Do I'll give you the secret. It will change everything. It just takes one gesture." What you do is just put your hand uh, when just put your hand on her back on her shoulder like this, protectively. Yeah, and everything will be all right. <laughs> so what happens? I I mean it works for a little bit. So he does that. <laughs> he does that it's funny. when they go in for dinner. Um, that was their excuse to get away from the couple because uh, I think he was a little um, felt a little awkward with this guy giving him advice. <laughs> Unsolicited advice. <laughs> but the tender gesture yeah. that is given as a copy yeah. of what of what a tender gesture yeah. should be that's told him what to do actually does... You, I think you see yeah. her body visibly yeah. soften at the touch, even though they're in the distance. And then that's the point where she goes in and makes herself pretty. Yeah. In the... When they go well, to dinner. Well, Juliette Binoche, she's already pretty, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. She put on lipstick. She put on earrings. She did the... Uh, that teases her hair a little it's bit. The, it's the um, the sort of the freshen effort, up. effortless French uh, fluffing yeah. that um, yeah. that everybody talks about with the red lip and the, and the easy breezy hair, yeah. you know. And yeah, so she looks great. <laughs> she comes out of the bathroom. I also know that at some point you, you came out of this movie wanting her dress. Yes, she's well. She's wearing this lovely sort of loose silk um, T-length dress. Yeah. Um, it's just, it's it's fashionable. It's easy breezy. It's great for like Italy in the summer. I'm sure. <laughs> you know, it would be really cool. Um, I-, I love that dress. I just she she just has that that style that I really liked. Um, so I've been I have been looking for that dress. But I guess when she comes back from the bathroom, he's still in a terrible mood, and he's gotten some corked wine. <laughs> so he's even. And he's worse really now. rude to the waiter as well, which is really irritating to me. He's but. really angry about the restaurant, <laughs> rude about the wine, wants just hates everything. Yeah, he's hangry. <laughs> he needs some bread. <laughs> and she's like, "I just made myself beautiful for you." Yeah. <laughs> and the intensity. Yeah. Of that, this animosity yeah. is not the casual animosity of two strangers who just met and are on a. No, it's this is like the tension is, height of this the, is the. This is fifteen years of a marriage that's kind of slowly gone wrong. Yeah, is now real before us. Yeah, and between them, in this restaurant in this strange little Tuscan village. It's like they now inhabit these personas of of the married couple who yeah. are having problems. Yeah. And have a whole life and a whole history together. So... <laughs> 
we've almost taken it to the finish line yeah. at this point. Yeah. So after he kind of gets up and walks, he out. leaves. He like leaves. And so she grabs some bread, because clearly he needs some bread, um, <laughs> and, like, follows him out. And then, um, I guess they, like, they see an old couple outside of a church, you know, and watch them walking. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that detail. Like a very old couple, like a couple mm-hmm. in their, like, 80s or 90s, mm-hmm. you know, that are sort of slowly walking home from church. And then they sit down on, like, the front steps of some building, and, you know, she gives him some bread. <laughs> so your theory is he's just <laughs> He angry. needed some bread. Um, <laughs> to never underestimate the power of some carbohydrates. Sometimes you just have to put some food in front of your husband's yes. face. Yes. Stop raving and eat something. Not, not that we have any experience with that. Um, <laughs> um, and he apologizes. Um, and um, I can't remember what they talk about. But then she was like, do you want to go look at the... At the... Um, the hotel. At the hotel where we, we spent our wedding night. Yeah. And um, she's like you know, where is it? Like in the courtyard. And he starts, he points, oh, it's that one over there. And she's like, she turns around and walks into the building where she was sitting on the steps. Um, So he kind of follows her in and they ask if they can. um, It's room nine or something. Yeah, on the third floor. floor. Um, So the, you know, the last scene of the movie is them sort of, the, the light is starting to fade. It's like, Eight o'clock at night. I'm actually worried that he's going to miss his. Train. Oh yeah, because we hear the, the we hear the <laughs> the church clock tower striking yeah. out there. It's eight o'clock. It's it's still light. It's yeah. twilight, just before twilight. Beautiful late so afternoon they, sun. They you know lay on the bed and you know sort of have like a quiet moment, um, and then he like goes to the bathroom and the last shot is sort of him looking at himself in the mirror with the open window behind him. Um, so we're looking the, directly the into swallows. the mirror. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the second shot we've had like that. The first shot was when Juliet Binoche went in and put on her makeup and her earrings. Yeah. That, There's a long held shot of her looking at herself in the mirror as she's doing these things. And now the movie closes. The yeah. final shot is him looking in at us, straight on, yeah. dead on at us as if we're the mirror. Yeah. Thoughtfully kind yeah. of lost in, in thought and in the moment. And the sense between them at the end when they're in that room is that kind of softening of all that animosity and everything and kind of settling back into the place of understanding and some kind of tenderness or, or, you know, the, the aftermath of an argument when you are the couple that you are again. Yeah. The couple that knows each other again. A little bruised after all of that too. Yeah. You know, a little tender. Okay. So we've (laughs) told the whole story of the movie. What does it mean? What does it all mean? So, tell me. <laughs> tell me, Ashley Carr. Are they, uh, are they strangers who decide to role play? Or are they a married couple who decide to role play? I, I don't know that I have an answer for that. I don't know that there well, is I'm, an answer for yeah. that. That's not the question I'm interested in. What is in. the question you're interested in? So, to me, this is... Like you know it's established what the book is about what his thesis is and i think like the whole movie because he says that he's not he wrote the book to convince himself of that point (laughs) that she spends the she's spending the entire movie after that point trying to prove to him what the thesis of his book is which is that that the originality of art isn't as isn't important. It's the experience that you have experiencing that art that's more important. And so I think that every way that she tries to do that throughout the movie, and I think that the sort of role playing thing is like the big, 
Like, I'll show you that we don't have to be married for 15 years, but I can give you a copy that feels just like we've been married for 15 years. But this requires him to play along with yeah, it, too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which he does. Yeah. Well, but, I mean, like, could, I mean, like, could the actions of a man who's frustrated with everything that's going on just in general look very much like the frustrations of a man who's been married for 15 years and is just done with this particular woman. Maybe, but on the other hand, some of, some of the tension and animosity between them is too intense Mm -hmm. to just be put on in a moment. Like, the the level of of whatever he's feeling in the in the restaurant, I mean, we're joking that he's hangry, but that's not yeah. what's going on. No, no, it's not. <laughs> and <laughs> some of the times where she gets fed up, and and they really argue, yeah, or she cries a little bit, yeah. or, or something like that, where they bring each other, where she he brings her to tears, or and or where they're really unkind with each other, yeah. or say really biting things to it. How do you fake that stuff? I mean, yeah. the, they're, they're not actors. No. I mean, in the movie, they're not actors. They're not, like, method acting or something yeah. like that. So, like, I don't want to... I'm not trying to fall into the no, trap no. Of, of, like, of trying to literally, like, make a case for what is literally happening in yeah. the movie. I'm just trying to say, like, it can be both. Yeah, yeah. And to me, it doesn't matter because it is both. But I, I like what well, you're saying, so, too. But also, the, there's this thing where, like, if they've never met before, but they're in their 50s. Yeah. And he's an author who travels around the world to and write, spends a lot of time writing. And it's quite possible that he has a wife that he was married to for 15 years. And they have a child. And the child and they're who split he doesn't up, see. Yeah. Who he doesn't see because he's traveling all the time. And it's quite possible that she had been with the father of her child and you know he's not around for whatever reason so they could be separately have these 15 year anniversary you know 15 year Mm -hmm. marriage with somebody else and be bringing all of that energy and all of that to this scenario that they've sort of created but the strange (laughs) thing is that the curtain never falls they never step out of character once they transform yeah once the once the movie takes that turn after that line she mistook you as my husband and i went Mm. along with it they never address the falseness of it ever Mm. again they just become the married couple yeah so (laughs) like there's a part of me that says oh well this is like this is one of those art films like blow up or something (laughs) like that where you know there both is and is not a murderer because yeah. that's what <laughs> that's the, you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. like the it's it, it's both yeah. i mean it's like literally this the film universe is a universe where they are both strangers and a a married couple simultaneously like yeah. they it's both yeah but well, I mean, which which means like if you pull outside of that relationship within the film, yeah, it says a lot about what the director is trying or and the writer, the dire- writer director is trying to tell us about what their interpretation of art is. And well, we as viewers yeah. got the experience of both <laughs> seeing a certified copy yeah. and the authentic yeah. thing. That's true. Reality. We have the experience of seeing. Uh, a couple that's, you know, mm. with all of this history, kind of trying to reconcile or not reconcile, but being together with the past stirred up in this beautiful s- setting. Yeah. And does it matter whether they're actually a married couple or not? Because that, yeah. then that's the idea of his book again. Yeah. Well, it's interesting if, I mean, like, if you do see it through the lens of them having been together at some point. Yeah. Like... Like, his description of seeing them out the window, if you yeah. put the the thing where he is the father in this, and 
yeah. you know, his family is going out without him every day and he stays indoors writing or, you know, doing yeah. his own thing while his family is out exploring well, the city. Well, what if the artifice yeah. is, is the beginning? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is the case, but what if you flip it on the yeah. other way around and the artifice is the role play of them being strangers in the beginning? Yeah. Where really maybe they haven't seen each other in a year and they yeah. are that married couple. And that's why it's not that big a deal that there's the fidgetiness in the beginning and she's not completely mortified or anything and yeah. and um and she's got their son yeah. you know i mean like <laughs> what if what if that's that's the role playing yeah and the yeah they have this date this kind of to to hang out and him mm-hmm. come see her antique shop where maybe they live apart or they're separated yeah. or something like that and they're spending this day together I don't think that's what's going on, but no. I'm saying like, I don't, it's not that kind of a movie where it's not a, like what is happening kind of movie. It is about the idea, I think. So ultimately it doesn't matter. Yeah. But you can kind of take the narrative and spin it around and look at it like, mm-hmm. like a prism or something and see yeah. it from different <laughs> angles. Did you say the thing that you were trying to say the other day when I said don't talk about it because we haven't recorded the podcast yet? Which was, it had to do with the moment of when he told the story Mm. and you said that was where there's a shift where she decides to, which I think is what you talked about. Yeah. She decides to prove the point of his... Yeah, I I think she... Where where that came from. I mean, like... I I think the the moment it changes is when the outsider, who who I think is the only outsider that... Well, I mean, the only outsider that, like, they don't bring into the conversation, you know, which she just states what she observes, which is this... So is she like somebody observing the Roman painting and yeah. assuming it's the original Roman yeah, painting? Yeah, she's assuming that they're married because, you know, and they're of an age and, you know. And she's just seeing the dynamics of two people of a yeah. certain age who have a certain connection. Yeah. And she makes that assumption. Oh, and she also witnesses the moment of emotion between them because mm-hmm. she sees him tell the story that brings her to tears. Yeah. So that's another reason why she makes the assumption that... Yeah. That there's, that they're a married couple. Yeah. Well, who, and what's who this but is, your husband can make you cry <laughs> like that? No, just... Well, I mean, like that. It's interesting because she has the whole conversation with this woman, and and like really, the interaction between Juliette Binoche and this woman is the longest that we have mm-hmm. outside of. I think it's around the same length of of time that she talks with her son in the beginning of the mm-hmm. movie, um, which kind of establishes where things are, but. This is, like, the the first, like... Well, I guess the son perspective also comes into play, but, like, the experiences of this woman living in this small town in Tuscany and that, you know, men have mistresses. And so she's bringing all of her experience to bear on this couple that she's witnessing. her interpretation of them. <laughs> you know, and, and, like, you know, we know that her perspective... I mean, at least we think... Her perspective is is incorrect, as in a factual way. It's like, mm-hmm. or at least what we understand up to this point, you know, that her assumptions are incorrect, but they are based on her experience, you know. So it's, I love this because it is like it's like completely like. You can talk forever about how art can be interpreted and and like whether there's such thing as like objective beauty and mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and and like i mean like philosophers i think it's more interesting area of philosophy to think about than than some others but um you know is beauty inherent in something or is it entirely based on you know subjective experience and how you experience a particular mm-hmm. thing you know <laughs> and I think that at least he he wants 
I mean, like, I think that in writing that book, he wants to support that argument. But I think that also that there's this sort of, which is like a thing in the art world, this sort of like, leaning on what's original and what's, you know, intended by the creator and, Mm -hmm. you know, all of this, you know, you know, who owned it and and who owned it before that and who did they buy it from and like, what are the brushstrokes and what kind of paint did they use? And what does the artist say that it means when they write the paragraph next to it or the page? Yeah. None of that ultimately (laughs) matters. Well, and I think that, I mean, like, that's, that's something I think, like, art critics struggle with a Mm -hmm. lot, you know, is that, you know, what does it mean? You know, but if you if you can't just tell people what it means because it's going to mean something different to every person. I think Jerry you know? Salt says stuff yeah. like, if you've <laughs> got to tell me in a page what it all means and I have yeah. to read that in order to get it, then it's not working. Yeah. Well, I mean, and he's very... The art isn't doing the work. I mean, that's work. why he, he speaks to me, at least because he's a very instinctual person. Yeah. So he wants to feel art in his gut. He wants mm-hmm. to feel it in his in his body, in his soul. He doesn't want to think about what it means in an intellectual sense, you know? So, but I mean, there are artists that are intellectual. They're appealing to, to what you know, and, and, and they are trying to communicate a specific message, but (laughs) however, you know, clearly they try to communicate that specific message. People are going to pull out what they want what their interpretation is. I mean, like we talk about this as architecture all the time. Like I love brutalism. Yeah. Um, and like in the U S it's sort of like powerful and we have it in our, you know, major building, our major like political buildings from the sixties and seventies. And it's like big and here and powerful and strong. And that's what we were using brutalism for to sort of show the authority of, you know, the courts or the, government or something like that. So, you know, in the US, it's associated with our, you know, democratic society. But there's similar modernist buildings, you know, built in, you know, Soviet Russia and um, um, Italy in particular, Mm -hmm. where it's more um, about, it's also about authority, but it's about authority from a more sort of less democratic, but more fascist Things So, like, you can take the same structures that look very similar and, you know, in a different context, they mean different things, you know, mm-hmm. like, it's, it's interesting, like, when you talk about, like, fascist architecture and how similar it can look to, you know, architecture that was not intended to be, you know, fascist and, you know, however it's used now. <laughs> So clearly there's there are ideas in this movie that we're here talking about for a long time but but the movie actually is moving it is and it makes yeah. you feel something and it makes you experience the pain and the love of this couple mm-hmm. whether they're a real couple or not you you feel somehow moved and changed yeah. by the end of the movie and there's kind of this sort of haunting Mm -hmm. atmosphere or something that you come away with and it's not just the idea of you know is this a marriage is it a copy of a marriage what are they doing is this a a role playing why are they doing this what's you know there's that kind of game Mm -hmm. at work which isn't just a game I mean it feels like so integral to what the movie is in form and narrative and but it's actually very beautiful. Yeah. Not just because it's filmed in Tuscany and it's got Julia Binoche and, you know, William Schimmel's kind of handsome too. Mm-hmm. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's like a full yeah. <laughs> work for me. Like, I feel full after I see this movie, even yeah. the second time. It really is emotionally engaged. I mean, like, we would, if it was just... Yeah, if it was cold, I don't think it would have the same impact. You know, you mm-hmm. really... And, I mean, it's like, if you think about it, like, relationships, there's, like art, there's an in- interior truth. There's, you know, what the actual relationship is between two people and then what that looks like to the people outside of that. You know, there's always that... Um, 
So, and, and we get to experience both in this movie to the extent that we can, you know, by hearing and seeing these very private conversations between these people and getting some context to understand what mm-hmm. might cause that. But then we're also bringing our own, you know, presumptions into our understanding of this. So we, it's, to the extent that we can, we're getting a glimpse of what it's like to be within this couple, but also we're, we can't we do can't that. We can't be do in that, this yeah. couple. We're also yeah. on the outside. <laughs> yeah. But we're also the mirror. Yes. <laughs> Twice we're the we mirror. We are the mirror, we're yes. The mirror we are the mirror, her. exactly. So. And whether or not there's any objective <laughs> truth to what the nat- what their relationship actually is. Yeah. And what's going on here. <laughs> By the end of that movie, they are that couple with yeah. that history. Yeah. Because that's the experience that they've had and that we've had. And that's all that matters by then. Yeah. This is pretentious as fuck, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Well, you know, we didn't talk about this, but um, one of the first things that we uh, noticed is the taking it all the way back to the beginning. um, The immediate sort of like way that they grab your attention is the like tension between Juliette Binoche and her son while she's trying to pay attention at the lecture, and she's sitting in the front row. Dude. For me, this is like a horror movie. <laughs> She's in the front row of this uh, of this quiet lecture. There's only like 30 or 40 people yeah. there. <laughs> it's just starting. He's come out to start giving his talk. And her son is across the, on the other side of the room. Like, like he walks in during the middle of walks it. Walks in the middle of it with slouching and all, with bustling. Walks with in the chairs. Fidgeting, standing there <laughs> fidgeting. And all she, she's like completely like just cringing and in horror that that she has to deal with her irritated irritable annoying rude kid who you know and i've been through this with with kids you take them to something special and they sit there looking at their phone or something like that right in front of yeah you know whatever's going on (laughs) not that i still feel bitter about this what's interesting about that scene too is like it's it's so good at bringing you into that particular experience because you're trying to listen to the lecture. You're trying to understand. I was thinking as we're, I was like, I need to understand what he's saying because it's probably going to be important to the and overall theme. And she wants to theme. understand what he's hearing. <laughs> but you've got this distraction playing out. And then, like, I'm getting kind of fed up with her, too, yeah. with not being able to just like, focus let back. him do that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, like, forget about him. And But then she's, like, writing the note and yeah. giving it to the translator. And then and whispering. leaning over and whispering. And I'm like, well, that's kind of freaking me yeah. out too. So the whole sense of social awkwardness and uh, what you well, can't do. What's and can't interesting do. too is like the camera stays with her. Mm-hmm. It doesn't ever show him. So he's up there talking, but we don't get any. Like I'm sitting there, like really tense, like thinking we're gonna get some sort of like thing of him looking irritated, you know, or pausing awkwardly. Um, you know, no, you just get the parents' reality of this is what she has to deal <laughs> with right now, and this is her entire focus. Yeah. Ah, I've been in that situation so many times. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, the scene between her and her son um, at the burger place. I really like that scene. It's a really good scene. You can tell that they have a good relationship, although she spends the rest of the... Most of the rest of her interactions with him over the phone are very frustrating for her, you know... (laughs) Where she's trying to tell him how to find something in the yeah, desk. Look in the desk. It's the third she's, drawer. She's like, he's such an idiot. Oh my god, they can't find anything. Well, at some point he makes a comment about about uh, how children teach us. They have so much to teach us because they just want to have fun or something like that. And she gets really irritated by that. And meanwhile, she's saying, I swear to God, if I come back there and find that, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to murder you in cold blood. Well, I think the the first call was um, uh, he wants to go skateboarding um, at the skateboard park, but he has a music lesson in an hour. And she was like, it takes an hour to get to the skateboard park. You can't go to the skateboard park. Um, and then he was like, you know, they, you know, she's really frustrated. She was like, who has to pay for all of this? And, you know, and he's like, they're, they're really like philosophers, children. You know, they don't, they only care about having fun. And she gets See, really irritated. that stuff sounds like somebody who doesn't have kids. <laughs> yeah, that's true. On the outside looking in. <laughs> she gets really frustrated with that. Um. I don't know. I wish I could, I wrote down what they were. But there were certain things that he said or certain 
later when mm-hmm. they have become the couple or whatever, yeah. they're, you know, for a while it seems more like she's the one kind of creating mm-hmm. the, the narrative yeah. and the backstory of their relationship. Mm-hmm. But there are times when he starts to contribute stuff yeah, about like, the time that such and such happened. And, and you a, always... Oh, was it? They're driving in a car. A, was there a scene where they? Oh, he. What is the thing where he gets really upset about the time that she fell asleep in the car with their child? Okay, that he, feels like a real memory. That feel. That's when that that was a moment where I'm like, oh my god, they really are this couple like messing with each other. I can't other. remember. I mean, the, but the she asks. She's frustrated with something that he said, and and she's like, you know. You know, do you, do you, do you hate, you know, do you hate me? Do you hate this? You know, I can't remember what she's upset about, but he tells his anecdote is that, you know, that time you fell asleep in the car when I was in the passenger seat and our child was in the back seat. you know, do you hate our child? Did you hate me when you fell asleep? You could have killed us, you know, Um, and that's the example. So, like, that was his defense against something that... But that memory is so specific. Yeah. And she reacts to it as if she has that memory, too. Mm -hmm. That's one of those scenes where you're like, what is happening? (laughs) So there definitely is a tension of what is going on. Yeah. How can it be that... They have such nuanced, detailed memories that they're both playing along with it like that. Yeah. Anyway, we find (laughs) ourselves going in circles. Yes. But they are two strangers and they're a married couple. And they're a married couple. (laughs) It's the... Both. Why not both? Why not both? Anyway, this this film was um, as enthralling to watch the second time as it was the first time I watched it. I feel like I got a little more out of it. Um, I feel like I need a third viewing now yeah, after having ever having talked about it mm-hmm. and uncovered so, so, some of your insights and then trying to pinpoint certain moments where we feel one way or the other about yeah. like now it's almost like what one third time yeah we'll get it for sure. <laughs> and they're not Easter eggs. <laughs> they're not it's Easter not eggs. It's not an Easter egg. <laughs> So any Swifties out there watch, watching? Uh, <laughs> All right. No, everyone's obsessed with Easter eggs now. No. Hey guys, I don't hear anybody. White Lotus doesn't have Easter eggs. It's called foreshadowing. It's called plot points. <laughs> it's called plot. It's called plot. It's not an Easter egg. It's Chekhov's gun. <laughs> yes. That's all. It's That's there all on purpose. <laughs> for real. For... And you're supposed to see it. <laughs> all right. Well, I don't think I have anything else to contribute to this and uh do you have anything else you want to say about certified copy by abbas kristami before we sign off well i i just say that i really like this sort of claustrophobic um way that he shoots sometimes you know Mm -hmm. he's very intentional about what he allows the you to see in the frame you know well Um, you should see a taste of cherry because they're stuck in a cab like most of the time (laughs) Um, so, I mean, it's, it's never, he doesn't shoot in wide shots, you know, you could, I mean, like you could do that because you're in a beautiful Italian villa, you know, or city, um, village, I guess. And, and, you know, make use of all of that atmosphere, but it's clear that he wants us focused on the faces of the actors and their relationship and the conversation that they're having. So... I mean, like, he, like, literally keeps a very tight camera. Mm-hmm. Um, you And it doesn't move a lot once it, you know, once it gets to where it, it mm-hmm. wants to be, it kind of stays and lets, lets the actor sort of take you where they're going to go. And so, I mean, like, I think that that contributes a lot to the, to the feeling of, of the movie as well, you know, particularly in that scene where we don't even get to see the... <laughs> the work of art that mm-hmm. is being discussed. We just have to figure out what it is based on the discussion that's being held. So the last thing I want to say though, that you brought this to my mind now is even though it's so tightly framed and composed, it has a sense of place. Mm-hmm. And like every time I see this movie, 
like, I feel like I just got to spend that day in Tuscany with yeah. them. I feel like I was there. And that you have that sense, even watching it at home on the TV, when the lights come up of like, I just came back from this, from walking around this town. <laughs> yeah. You know, it has that magical, it's that magical feeling. And yeah. probably it's the pacing of it too. And the fact that mm-hmm. it's so centered on them meandering and walking and talking and, and, and being there that yeah. you feel like you've been there with them and experienced it. Well, that's it's, so it's, it's, it feels it does, like a vacation. It does play with time in a weird way yeah. because like I, if, I and mean, we looked at the time before we started the movie, but I would not have guessed that it's a less than two hour movie. It just has that sort of like that feel like this, like you spend an entire afternoon with these people, you know? Yeah. And, but like really it's pretty, that's a pretty compact art film. It an hour and 47 minutes, you know? Like at the point where it's 8 PM though. Yeah. And I was surprised that it was that late because yeah. I didn't realize it didn't feel like they were out that long to me. I, I think maybe there might have been a scene cut between the, like, like, the implication is that they, because they went to the dinner place at yeah. 5, it yeah. was 5 p.m., so they, it sounds like they wandered around for a couple more hours before they went up to the to the room. Or they stayed so, in the room just lying on the bed yeah. together for yeah. for an hour yeah. or two, I don't know. <laughs> He's going to miss his train, though, yeah. so I'm not too worried about it. All right. Well, I think that's what that's what we have for you this yes. time. Thank you for choosing this wonderful movie. Yeah. I I guess it's probably been three or four years since we saw it. Yeah. It was probably at the other house four years ago, something. Maybe. Um, um, it's well worth your time. It's 2010. Julie Binoche won Best Actress at Cannes mm-hmm. for this. I didn't catch any other awards. I didn't uh, think I... It's on uh, all those best li- sight and sound yeah. Best movie, best movies of all time. It's it's up there. It's yeah. in lots of people's top twenty lists. I think um, one of the great movies of the two thousands. Yeah, and uh, it's streaming on Criterion Channel this month, or it was when we yeah. wanted the last weekend. And I'm sure you can easily find it other places. But yeah, catch up with it. It's good stuff. All right, um, we will be back next month. Month. Is that what we're doing? Yes, monthly. We'll be back next month with my pick. and uh, Weekend, just... no. <laughs> no. And the joke here is that that's another movie that we've already seen and have said, oh, we should talk about it sometime. We could just talk about it. We but, could just talk about it. But then that would be a waste of a conversation because yeah. we could get like, you know, we could produce yeah. something out That's there. right. It can be a podcast. Everything be, must be Everything should be content. Yeah. All right. Well, We're thanks. not doing capitalism right. Thanks for listening. <laughs> and uh, we'll be back next month with more. <laughs> Bye. Bye.